Hi guys, uh, Pastor Greg Corcoran here from Battlefield Baptist Church. Uh, pray that this sermon is a blessing, an encouragement, and a challenge to you in your walk with the Lord. Additionally, I just wanted to say that if we here at Battlefield can ever be a blessing to you, please don't hesitate to contact us. And the best way to do that is through our website at battlefieldbaptist.org. Again, I pray this sermon blesses you, encourages you, and uh, that you'll fall more in love with God, more in love with his word, and more in love with people. Amen. Amen. Thank you guys so much. Thank you. Again, happy Father's Day to all of our dads. If you have your Bible, uh, turn with me to 2 Kings, 2 Kings chapter 21 this morning. And as you're turning, let me just say again, thank you so much. Seriously, thank you for making it a priority to be here to, uh, to worship uh, on this very, very special day. And certainly, um, Father's Day is, is a special day, no doubt. And I appreciate you taking time to be in the Lord's house. And for those who may be joining us for the first time or the first time in a while, uh, we have been talking about family matters. We've been talking about family matters. And the reason we've been talking about family matters is because families actually matter to God. They actually matter to God. If you look in the biblical account of Genesis chapter 1 and 2, we find that God not only created man and woman, but he created family. Because at the end of it all, man left his father and mother and cleaved unto his own wife, and the two became one flesh. And so he created family uh, from the very beginning. And so when we started this series, um, back at the beginning of May, we established some initial imperatives. And uh, those initial imperatives have governed our discussions, they've governed our thoughts, and really not only in response to this series, but really I think that you could use just about all of these uh, imperatives across the board. And, and uh, they're up on the screen, the initial imperatives, number one that we've got we to gotta come to grips with, and this is one that we all struggle with sometimes, is God is God and I am not. We have to deal with that. Number two, uh, if we're going to get anything from this book, we have to come to the realization that the Bible is God's Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Number three, God's thoughts and ways are higher and holier than our thoughts and ways. You see, because it carries right on with number four, because our thoughts and ways, they seem right. You know, sometimes we make uh, educated guesses about things. Sometimes we have our plans. We have our own ways. But the Bible says those types of plans, those thoughts, those ways can get us into trouble. And that's putting it nicely, right? And so we, we had that. And then since we're talking about family matters, our fifth imperative was just simply that uh, it's God who builds the home. We don't build it of ourselves. Uh, that if we're going to build a home biblically, it's going to have to be God that builds the home. And so... Since we're celebrating Father's Day, I thought it would be appropriate for us to consider dad's influence. Dad has an influence. You know that? My dad had an influence, an incredible influence on my life. And, and uh, dad has an influence in the home. And it's incredibly important. Now, let me just say that. The fact that I just started by saying that dad has an influence in the home, that's true. But you know, this idea of influence is something that all of us need to be aware of because the reality is that every one of us have this sphere, if you please, of influence around somebody or some group of people, whether it be in the workplace, the home, or the marketplace, or in our neighborhood, as, as men, as women, even as young people, it doesn't matter. You have a, a circle of influence of people 
that are in your life and you have the ability to influence uh, thoughts and, and, and actions and decisions. And so. and so how we exercise this influence is pretty important. In fact, uh, simply put, the word influence, if we'll throw that up there, the word influence is defined, watch this, as the capacity... The capacity to have an effect on the character, the development, or behavior of someone or something, or the effect itself. Here's the reality. Every one of us have been blessed. We've all been blessed. You say, well, how do you know? You don't know me. Like, you don't know me. I know that I see you breathing. I, I know that I don't see anybody looks malnourished in this place. I see the blessing that everybody's wearing clothes. There's a lot of blessings we could see if we just take a chance to think about it. We've all been blessed. And, you know, with all blessings comes great responsibility. It was that great theologian Spider-Man. You know, Spider-Man talks about with great power comes great responsibility. And you all thought that some comic strip or, or some movie theme came up with that. You know that Jesus actually came up with that thought? Because in Luke chapter 12 and verse number 48, he says these words, he says, For unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall much be required. That's, that's not Spider-Man. Spider-Man didn't come up with that. It was Jesus. Men, if you're married, if you're married here, men, God's word teaches that you're to sacrificially lead and to love your wives the same exact way that Jesus loved and gave himself for the church. Ephesians 5 has a lot to say about that, but here's the deal. I always say this to guys when I'm doing premarital counseling. I'm looking at a couple that I had the opportunity to officiate their wedding this past year. And Derek, you know I talked about this. You can't lead your wife well unless you love your wife well. And vice versa, you can't love your wife well unless you lead her well. He was very confused at that moment. <laughs> but we got it all straightened out, didn't we? Here's the deal, guys. Men... Our role in the marriage relationship, our role in the home denotes one of responsibility and accountability, but it does not denote, it does not signify that you and I have superiority in the home. It just means that we're called to lead and to love our wives as Christ loved and gave himself for the church. And then more specifically, moms, lest you think this is just a message to dads. By the way, everybody's already checked out. They're like, uh-oh, it's a message on dad's influence, so I could just check out. I'm going to head to the buffet a little early. I'll go ahead and save us a seat. This message is for all of us because we all have this, this ability to influence lives. And more specifically, moms and dads, they're called to train their children. They're called to train their children up. In fact, Proverbs 22.6 says, train up a child in the way he or she should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Ephesians 6, 4. Dads, this speaks to you. And fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. This verse specifically is talking about the, the responsibility as dads that we have to train, to educate. And guess what? It also says there in that verse, watch it, that we're to warn, we're to share God's warnings with our kids. You see, it's not all happy, happy, happy all the time. Sometimes we have to let, make sure that our children know that God takes certain things pretty seriously. And so that's a responsibility. Psalm 127, verse number 4, the psalmist said, As arrows are in the hand of the mighty man, so are children of youth. Dads, we are to biblically direct the so-called arrows that we have been blessed with. 
Oh, listen, to whomsoever much is given, much shall be required. It was that great uh, pastor and theologian of years gone by, Adrian Rogers from Bellevue Baptist Church in Memphis, Tennessee. He said these words. He said, when dads shoot straight, the kids hit the mark. I like that. When dads shoot straight, the kids hit the mark. Listen, you know, I had a Bible college professor who used to say, if you aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time. There's, there is a goal that we are to have as men, as dads in the home. And the lack of leadership and the lack of love is contributing, sadly, to the destruction of many homes, not only in the U.S., but all around the world. But let me just say this, men, men are not the only ones to blame, lest the guys get all like, oh. This is going to be the beatdown uh, for men. No, it's not just men. We're, we're all to blame. We all take a little share of the responsibility in that regard. And so it was Elvis Presley who said it this way. He said, the world's a stage, and each of us play a part. So the question is, what part are you playing? What part am I playing? What type of influence are we having in the home, in school, and in the workplace and yes, it's Father's Day, and yes, I'm going to address men and husbands and dads today. But don't check out, ladies. Don't check out, young people, because I believe this text will serve, as I said, not only as a cautionary reminder, but it may actually serve as an eye-opener to us this morning. So look with me in 2 Kings 21. We're going to read about a father and a son here. The father's name is Manasseh, and he's not from Manassas, okay? His name is Manasseh. Uh, and we're going to read about his son Ammon, okay? And look with me beginning in verse number 1. And here's what God tells us about this father and son. It says, Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign. And he reigned for 50 and 5 years. He was, he was the king of Judah. This is a time when, when it, the, 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 the tribes of Israel had been separated, 10 tribes and, and 2 tribes. This is the tribe of Judah. And he reigns as the king in Jerusalem. And it says his mother's name was Hephzibah. Now hold on now. I'm going to come back and I'll mention her in just a little while. His mom's name was Hephzibah. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord after the abominations of the heathen whom the Lord cast out before the children of Israel. So in other words, Manasseh, he copies the disgusting. That word abominations is literally speaking of disgusting actions of people. And it, when it says heathens, it's talking about unbelievers, the Gentiles more specifically at that time, that he was acting worse than the worst uh, heathens that were around. This is what Manasseh was doing. Watch, it says he was copying their disgusting actions and their idol worship and and the scripture also referenced that these are the people that God actually cast out of the land because of their heinous atrocities. In verses 3 and 4, the Bible essentially tells us that, that this Manasseh, he tramples, he tramples on his father's good name and reputation. His father was King Hezekiah. Hezekiah, without going into great detail, he was a good king. Uh, but uh, Manasseh, he rebuilds the, the so-called high places. The altars, if you please, the, the wicked altars of idolatry. And uh, he even went so far, if you read this passage throughout, he actually went so far to desecrate the temple. He brings things into the temple of God that shouldn't have been brought into the temple. And so this is a guy who is doing all kind of wickedness, all kind of evil. And notice verse number 6. Verse number 6 says that he made his son, we're talking about Ammon, he made his son pass through the fire and observed times and used enchantments and dealt with familiar spirits and wizards. He wrought much wickedness in the sight of the Lord 
Watch that last phrase. To provoke him to anger. Now here's the deal. The practice of making your child to, to pass through the fire or to, to be burned alive in some instances. This is what was going on. The, the, he, making his son to pass through the fire was, now watch this parents, that was a dedication ceremony. You see what Manasseh was doing? He was dedicating Ammon, not to God, but he was dedicating Ammon to all the, the wicked gods, little g, and the idol worship of, of Molech and Baal and, and on and on, Ashtaroth. And so he makes his son walk through this. He's using all type of wickedness in this dedication. And so it's almost like a child, watch it, dedication service, except for it was a dedication to false gods. Oh, listen, Manasseh was not only a wicked king, but Manasseh wasn't much of a dad either. And you say, why, why do you say that? Because he, he not only made Ammon do this, because if you cross-reference Scripture in 2 Chronicles 33, and verse number 6 indicates that he caused all of his children to pass through the fire. It's as if, it's as if Manasseh made decisions, he made choices. By the way, I always say this, we make choices and choices make us. It's as if he made choices or decisions, almost it seems like he did it on purpose to anger God. And yet so we see what's going on. And you know, scripture gives us a, a principle worth noting over in Galatians chapter 6. Now I understand the passage is speaking of something different, but in Galatians chapter 6, the Bible talks about the fact that we shouldn't deceive ourselves, right? The fact that God is not mocked. Whatever we sow, that's what we're going to reap. And so with that thought in mind, with the thought in mind that God is God and we are not, this is his word, let's go back and see what Manasseh reaped. Back in our text, look back in our text. In verse number 10, we're told, it says, And the Lord spake by his servants and the prophets, saying, Watch this word, because. Because Manasseh, king of Judah, hath done these abominations or disgusting things and has done wickedly above all that the Amorites did, which went before him and hath made Judah also to sin with his idols. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Behold, I am bringing such evil upon Jerusalem and Judah that whatsoever heareth of it, both ears shall tingle. In other words, it's going to be a screeching thing. It's going to be something awful, horrible, horrific to the ears to hear what God is going to do because of this. Look at verse number 13. It says, And I will stretch over Jerusalem the line of Samaria and the plummet of the house of Ahab. That's another wicked king. His wife's name was, maybe, you, maybe you'll connect the dot here. His wife's name was Jezebel. Does that name ring any bells? Hey, moms, anybody thinking about naming your daughter Jezebel? I didn't think so. This was Ahab, the plummet of his family. Watch, he says, and I will, verse 13, I will wipe Jerusalem as a man wipeth a dish. It's kind of confusing because I, I don't see many men wiping dishes. But anyway, that's another thought, right? Except for in my home. Different message, different day. I will wipe Jerusalem as a man wipeth a dish, wiping it and turning it upside down. Look at verse 14. And I will forsake the remnant of mine inheritance and deliver them into the hand of their enemies. And they shall become a prey and a spoil to all their enemies. Here's that word again. Because they have done that which was evil in my sight and have provoked me to anger since the day their fathers came forth out of Egypt. Even unto this day, moreover, Manasseh shed innocent blood. Pay attention to this. He shed innocent blood very much 
till he had filled Jerusalem from one end to the other beside his sin, wherewith he made Judah to sin in doing that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. Now notice verse 16 again. It says he shed innocent blood very much. Any prophet who tried to reprove Manasseh, anybody that got in his way, anyone else who, who, who tried to correct him, it was said that this guy just got rid of him. Oh, you don't tell me what to do. I'm done with you. You don't tell me what to do. And this was the behavior of him. And it was commonly reported uh, through various Christian and Jewish writers that the prophet Isaiah, if you look over to Hebrews chapter 11, it says that uh, uh, those who were sawn asunder. It was commonly reported by Jewish and Christian writers that the prophet Isaiah was sawn asunder. He was sawed in half. Now, here's where I go back. The Babylonian Talmud actually suggests that Hephzibah, Manasseh's mom, was Isaiah's daughter. If that is true, if that is so, how wicked do you have to be to take your father-in-law and saw him in half? Beware, father-in-law. You see what kind of individual we're dealing with, guys? But let's hold on a second. Do you think that his actions are having an impact on his children? Do you think that they're influencing Ammon and others? Let's go back into the text. Look at verse 17 because it continues by saying, Now the rest of the acts of Manasseh and all that he did and his sin that he sinned, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? And Manasseh slept with his fathers. In other words, he died. He says he died. And he was buried in the garden of his own house, in the garden of Uzzah. And Ammon, his son, reigned in his stead. Now, if I have Bible scholars out here who know the, the story of Manasseh, have cross-referenced Second Chronicles, and they know the fact that there was a point in time when Manasseh was taken captive by the king of Assyria, who, by the way, was also the king of Babylon. And they also would tell you that there was a time in Manasseh's life, late in his, in his kingship, in his life, when he literally was in affliction. The Bible tells us in Second Chronicles 33, that in verse number 12, that he was being in affliction, that he finally be sought the Lord, he humbled himself, and he prayed to the Lord. And we thank God for his amazing grace. You say, are you telling me that the Bible says this wicked dude finally turned and besought the Lord, and he humbled himself, and he prayed? Yes, that's what I'm telling you. That's the kind of God we serve. You ever heard the story of the thief on the cross? Very similarly, the thief on the cross recognized Jesus, and in that moment, you think that guy had a great life built up for himself? You think his influence was positive? But at that moment, Jesus says, Thou, you will be with me in paradise. Don't worry about it. It's all good because I'm the King of kings and Lord of lords. You're going with me today. And so I, I share that with you just to share the complete history of Manasseh. Unfortunately, though, unfortunately, Manasseh's change of heart obviously came way too late. It came way too late for him to really influence his 22-year-old son, Ammon. Can I tell you, the influences on a 22-year-old man have already been made. 
That doesn't mean you can't start new and start to influence from this day forward. But it, and I'm just using 22 because it's in the Bible and my youngest son happens to be 22. And so it kind of caught my attention as well. Listen, any influence that's taking place has already been done. Now look back in verse number 19. Because verse number 19 in our text says that Ammon was 22, 20 and 2 years old when he began to reign. But watch, dad reigned for 55 years. Ammon, it says he reigned two years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Meshulameth and the daughter of Herod's Jotbath. In verse 20, watch, it says, And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, as his father Manasseh did. You ever heard the phrase, monkey see, monkey do? As his father Manasseh did. Look, verse 21. And he walked in all the ways that his father walked in. Watch. He not only walked like dad, but he talked like dad. And it says here, and he served the idols that his father served, and he worshiped them. And verse number 22 says, and he forsook the Lord God of his fathers, and he walked not in the way of the Lord. Again, verse number 21 tells us that Ammon walked exactly like his dad did for the majority of his life. And quite honestly, dads and all of us, we ought to take a moment and let that sit. I know I have this week. In all our ways, not just the ways that we, like we get all, we get all nice and, or at least somewhat nicer on Sundays, right? And we, and we, and we get dressed and we come to a place of worship and, and, it, and you might have a little calm in the storm for a little while, but we have to be so careful, dads, because listen, little feet, Little eyes, little hands are watching us. Moms, you have to be careful. Aunts and uncles, you have to be careful. Grandpa and grandma, you still have a sphere of influence over that child. And so it's so important how we walk. And the reality is that Ammon, he watches his dad. He does exactly what his dad had done. Could anyone expect anything different? Oh, no. Well, listen, our children... In fact, 2 Chronicles 33, 23 puts it this way. It says, Ammon trespassed more and more. And the uncanny thing is that our children, they, they have an uncanny ability to be just like us. They're going to follow just like us. In fact, you ever had a situation where you're out in public and your child says something or does something that you really don't want anybody else to hear them say or do? And you're like, no, no, no. Stop. Don't say that. Right? Guess what? That influence is around them, which is why we have to be so careful. Children have a tendency to admire dad. That's a good thing. They have a tendency to admire dad. And for the most part, that's a good thing. But the reality is <laughs> they admire dad even when dad's not doing right. In his article, Fathers, our families would rather see a sermon than hear one. It was Pastor Shane Eidelman. He suggests that families these days are continuing to take a hit in the biblical spectrum. And he said to hear the reasons. He said that families continue to take a hit because, number one, Bible reading and prayer are called fanatical, while working 12 to 16 hours a day is called success. He says, we build our career and neglect our marriage and home, number two. Number three, corporate executives are praised while family men are frowned upon. He says, he goes on, he says, we've increased our wealth but decreased our values. We search the heavens for answers and turn away from the one who created the heavens. 
He says, he says, families are continuing to take a hit because pride is considered an asset while humility a liability. Families take a hit because we know more about our favorite athletes than we do our wives or children. He said families take a hit because we'd rather be seen leaving a bar or a party rather than leaving church. He says families are taking a hit because we praise our favorite team, yet we fall asleep in church. He went on to say these words. Listen, this is good. He said, our homes are in desperate need of genuine leadership. Broken, humble men, men who are not afraid to admit that they need God, men who are more concerned about prayer than status or recognition, men who petition God rather than positioning themselves. Oh, listen, remember what Ammon did. He did exactly as his dad did. He watched everything and then he mimicked everything. We have to be careful. Because I can assure you the same is, will, is and will be true of our children to some degree. So I put in my notes, dads, what type of influence are you having on your kids? And if your kids were to imitate you right now, right in this moment, what would be the result? Moms, I want to give you the same question. What kind of influence? You're like, my, my kid's only two weeks old. I, I don't know if he or she's picking up anything yet. The time to start training. Boy, girl. Boy, time to start training right now. Speak into him. Speak into him. Let him hear from you, Dad, Mom. See, the question is the same for moms. Husbands and wives. You say, well, it doesn't matter whether you have kids or not. The same is true for you because, husbands, you have a sphere of influence in your home. Wives, you have a sphere of influence. Men, you have a sphere of influence. Ladies and children, we all, the truth is that we all influence someone to some degree. And the reality is someone is always watching. I guarantee you they're always watching. I remember taking vacation one time. I tell this story haphazardly a little bit and half-heartedly rather. I get, we were down, my wife and I, we made a trip to Aruba. And uh, as was happening chance, every morning I like to, if you know me on vacation, you know I'm going to read as many books as I can. Because once I get back here, it's hard to get that time to read and whatnot. And so I had a full docket of reading materials and every morning I get my cup of coffee, and I go down by the, by the lazy river. And there's nobody out there, by the way, at this time because it's about sun up. The sun's just coming up. I'm getting up uh, with creation. You know, it's a beautiful thing. And I'm sitting there, and I'm reading, and uh, I ran out of coffee. And I said, that's a problem. <laughs> that's a problem. And so I looked over. I, I really didn't want to go all the way back up to the room where we're at. So I, I said, you know, I'm going to go over here. And yes, I'm going to put it on my room, a, a, a ridiculous high expensive cost of a cup of coffee at this place. And I'm going to get myself a cup of coffee. I came over the bridge, over the lazy river, and you would think that in Aruba I could escape you all. <laughs> I'm thinking, man, I'm here in quote unquote paradise. Nobody knows me. Nobody. I'm just free, free as a bird. And out of the mouth of a little boy. Hey, Pastor Greg, how you doing? How you doing? How you doing? <laughs> I'm like, who are you? What are you doing? Why are you here? He said, you remember me? You remember me? And I'm like, ah, uh, ah, uh, senior moment. He said, I played in upper basketball. <laughs> He's giving me the thumbs up. And it was that year that we were going back and forth doing the devotions. And so he had seen me do some of the devotions at halftime and everything. And I'm thinking, 
I can't even get away from the kids at Upper Basketball. The next thing I know, it's a big old family reunion. He's running down the patio. Hey, Mom, Dad, it's Pastor Greg over here. People are always watching. They're, they're always watching. Even when you think you're on vacation. Now that I've told you that story, y'all are going to run into people from Warrington when you go on vacation. You'll be like, wow, it happened to me. Our children are watching. Men, our wives are watching. It makes a big difference how we live. The late Charles Stanley, he once asked the question. He put it this way. He said, if your children or someone else in your life were to imitate you, he asked these questions. He said, would they, number one, would they have a strong desire to discover and fulfill God's will for their lives? Number two, he said, would they know how to live a life of faith, a life focused on God, a life trusting in him for their needs? Would they be encouragers who lift other people up, or would they be those who tear other people down? If they were to imitate you, would your children have prayer lives that are genuine, diligent, and based on the word of God? Would they have a hunger for God's word and see, seek to live their lives according to the principles found therein? Would they seek to share the gospel with others? If they were to imitate you, would they be faithfully serving the Lord or others through their local New Testament church? If they were, if they were imitating you, would they understand Dad, by your example? Would they understand, Mom, by your example? Would they understand that their body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? If there's any hesitation or doubt as to what the results would be, and if you're like me, maybe there is a moment of hesitation. You say, did I do, did I do all that I could? Could I have done a better job? The answer is always yes. Did I, did I, did I always make the right decisions? You know, uh, I say we make choices and choices make us. Did I make the right decisions for me and my wife and my family? Invariably, there's got to be some hesitation because we're not perfect. I'm not perfect. If there's any hesitation or doubt, James gives us a couple of things. And then I close. And these are rapid fire. Number one, if you lack wisdom, ask God. James 1, in verse number 5, the Bible says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and abradeth not, and it shall be given to him. Folks, God's wisdom is found right here. I wish I could tell you that you could go get it from, from a vending machine. I wish I could tell you that there's some easier method, but the reality is God's wisdom is going to be found in God's word. I always tell people all the time, listen, you want to have the mind of Christ, here it is. Here it is. Let this mind be in you which was in Christ Jesus. Listen, if you're going to exercise biblical wisdom, you're going to have to ask God. And listen, I lack it all the time. Just ask my wife, right? And so I have to ask God, God, give me wisdom as I deal with this situation. God, give me wisdom to be an encourager. God, give me wisdom to be the dad that I need to be to instruct, to, to influence my, my family the way that I should. Number two. James also says, not only if you lack wisdom, ask God. He says, but you need to be a doer of God's word. 
In James chapter 1 and verse 22 and following, he says, But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. You see, what he's saying is there's a lot of people who hear God's word and then they walk away thinking that they've got everything they need. Listen, I heard your message. I'm going to try and be an influencer. Listen, you can't just hear what the word of God says. James is saying you need to actually do what it says. He says this. He says, verse 23, For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who beholds his natural face in a glass. For he holds himself and then goes his way and straightway forgets what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Verse 22 again says, listen, don't be deceived. Knowledge is knowing. Wisdom is doing. You can have all the knowledge in the world. In fact, that's what the Gentiles sought after all through Scripture. The Jews were seeking a sign, the Bible tells us. They were seeking a sign for Messiah. The Gentiles, they were seeking wisdom and knowledge. And the Bible goes on and equates the wisdom of the world as being foolishness with God. And so we can have all kind of biblical knowledge. But if we don't appropriate that knowledge in our life personally... There's no way I'm going to be able to use it to influence anybody else. The strength and power of God's word becomes evident. As we believe and apply his word to our lives, look back with me to our text. i got to close this up. Look at verse 23. Because I told you just a moment ago that the son, dad serves 55 years, the son only serves two years. But what happened? Look at verse 23. Verse 23 tells us the servants in Ammon conspired against him and they slew the king in his house. So you see the, the, the results of Manasseh's example and influence was not only catastrophic for, for the land of Judah, but it turned out that it was disastrous for his son Ammon. Families matter. And dad's influence is still incredibly important in the development of our children. Maybe you've had less than a desirable childhood. Maybe you're sitting here and you, you, know, you say, you know, Father's Day's tough for me because I didn't have a great dad. I hear you. Maybe you're here and you say, Father's Day is tough because my dad's passed away and I can't celebrate with dad today. I hear you. Listen, I hear you. But maybe you had, maybe you had a childhood Maybe you experienced a less than desirable childhood. Or maybe, young people, maybe you're currently, maybe you're currently living through a poor uh, childhood or the poor decisions or influence of your dad or your mom or maybe someone else in your family. I don't know what the situation is for each and every person, but I'm here to tell you that there is hope for everyone. There is hope for every one of us. The reality is that we can break free from the poor influences that come upon us. We don't have to make choices just because dad made that choice. I don't have to make a choice just because mom made that choice or grandpa or grandma made the choice. We can break free from that by trusting in the risen Savior of the world. Listen, we have a heavenly father who loved us and gave himself for us through his son Jesus Christ. He, he loved us so much that even though we're sinners, even though we're ungodly, the Bible says he proved his love by sending his son we can, we can have a new beginning. We can experience hope like we've never seen before in our lives simply by calling upon the name of the Lord and trusting Him. 
for the forgiveness of our sin. Listen, and then not only trust in Christ, but allow his word to become the main influencer in your life. Instead of letting the world influence you, let God influence you. Maybe you're a man or a dad or a granddad for that matter. And you have some regrets. <laughs> Maybe I'm not the only one that has regrets here today. Maybe you have some regrets of how you've been influencing those in your family. You need to know there's hope for you as well. Thankfully, our God is a miracle-working God. And I could go around the room and prove to you that he's the God of second chances, the God of third chances, the God of fourth chances, and on and on. You say, how do I know that? Because my Bible says that God is long-suffering. He's patient. <laughs> he wants us to get it right. I want to get it right, but you know there are days that I don't. There are days just like everyone in this room that we all blow it. Anybody say, I've blown it before? Who's willing to say I blew it? Well, half of you. The other half are perfect. All of us that blew it, go greet the ones that are perfect. They'll tell us how to get it right. <laughs> Guys, it's okay. What I'm telling you is there's hope for every one of us. Nobody here is perfect, but we do serve a perfect God. Amen. Oh, listen, he wants us to get it right. Look at verse 24. Man, what a sad story, but also a cautionary tale. Verse 24 reveals that Ammon's son, Josiah, becomes king. And if you look in the very next chapter, in chapter 22, in verse number 1, notice the Bible says this. It says, Josiah was eight years old. Who thinks they're ready to be a king at the age of eight? He was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 30 and one years in Jerusalem. Verse number two says that he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, and he walked in all the ways of David, King David, his father, and turned not aside to the right hand or to the left. Those days, listen, to this day, Josiah is still named and recognized as one of the four great kings of Judah. And thankfully, watch this, thankfully the influence of his earthly father was replaced by the influence of his heavenly father. The cycle was broken. He said, no, uh-uh. I'm going to listen to what my heavenly father has to say. I'm going to do what God has to say. And in some small way, I don't think straight all the time, but in some small way, he was only around for eight years of his dad's life. And only two years of his life was his daddy king. See, he didn't, he didn't experience the horrors that his dad had experienced. He only had two years to see his dad do more wicked than his grandpa. Oh, listen, 2 Chronicles 34 and 33 gives us a clip, glimpse of the rest of the story. Watch it, it says this. And Josiah took away all the abominations, all the disgusting things, took away all the abominations out of the countries that pertain to the children of Israel. And watch this. And made all that were present in Israel to serve, even to serve the Lord their God. And notice the final phrase, and all his days. They departed not from following the Lord, 
the God of their fathers. How's your influence, dads? Moms, how's your influence? Hey, young people, you're not left out today. How's your influence in the workplace? How's your influence in school, in the schoolyard, right? What, what type of influence are we having? If people don't see uh, the light and the love that is residing inside of us as children of the king, there's something wrong. And so I want to encourage you. Right now, we're going to enter into a time of invitation. I want to just encourage you to quietly under yourself, just ask, ask God, help me, to, help me to improve my influence. And you say, man, that's kind of across the board because I think all of us could do a better job. I don't think anyone has, anyone has arrived yet, right? We all have room for improvement, so to speak. And so I'm going to just ask you, we're going to have just a short time of invitation, and I'm going to ask you to do business with the Lord. Listen, you may be here and you say, you know what? I, I've never called out on Jesus. I've never trusted Christ as my Savior. Can I tell you that that's available to you? That's free? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Do you know it is a free gift? It is a gift that God has given. It's not something that you have to purchase. It's not through a church membership. It's not through some type of offering that you have to give because the offering was given when Jesus laid down his life. All you have to do, the Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, the Bible says, shall be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Listen, maybe you need to just trust Christ today and start fresh. I want to encourage you, as the Lord leads, as the Lord draws you, make those decisions, make those recommitments as we sing this song of invitation. Moms and dads who are dedicating children, as we begin, I'll have a word of prayer in here in just a second. But as we begin this, I'm going to ask our moms and dads who will be dedicating their children, go ahead and get... Uh, your, your cherubs, your angels, and then come up here. I'm going to ask if we have this area cleared and have you sit up here and we'll have our child dedication here in just a moment. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the time that we've had in your house. God, I pray. I pray that you have been honored. I pray that you've been glorified through it. Lord, I pray for those who need to make a decision right now to trust Christ as their Savior. Lord, I pray for dads and grandpas and grandmas and moms and, and everyone in this room, husbands and wives, men and women, young people, that we would be aware of the influence that we have in the lives of people around us. Lord, help us to recommit ourselves to living in a way that brings you honor and glory. God, will be careful to thank you for it. We pray this in the precious and powerful name of your Savior and for your Son's sake, amen and amen.